Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. It seems to me that this year, the buzzword of the day is curiosity. I am seeing it crop up in place after place after place. Or maybe it's just that we're thinking about it more. I will admit that Steve Newman and I wrote a recent article for Strategy Plus Business where we were trying to help leaders think through how do you prepare for a free future that you can't see and you quite honestly can't predict either in spite of all of our best techniques for it. And we advocated in that one that it was about exploration, that willingness to explore things that you don't yet need to know about or that are not yet impacting your business for the sake of curiosity. And that seems to be the key. So is this, in, in, is this interest in curiosity new or heightened and why? Is it good for business? And most importantly, how do you encourage more curiosity in yourself and in your teams? So my guests today are two people, Paul Ashcroft and Garrick Jones, and importantly, they're the co-authors of a book I love called The Curious Advantage. They are co-founders and partners of the Ludic Group, and they've also co-authored another book called Alive, Digital Humans and Their Organizations. Now, I should say that Paul Ashcroft has a background in mathematics and strategic consulting. He's an expert in applying principles of innovation, design thinking, and digital tools to accelerate large-scale sustainable change on a global basis. 20 years of working with leading organizations, designing strategy, aligning leaders, implementing, engaging, and motivating people, and using groundbreaking methods to collaborate, design, and deliver solutions that help organizations transform and shift to digital. Now, his partner, Garrick Jones, also co-author and co-founder of the Ludica Group, is a renowned expert in digital transformation, digital learning, and engagement. He's a fellow with the London School of Economics and Political Science, and he's taught capstone programs in international relationships with the the, um, groundbreaking Open Innovation Program. His research has focused on creative economies and large-scale support systems for commerce, culture, education, and community development, where innovation is critical. And he's particularly focused these days on the value of the design process on visualization methods and tools for uh, enabling constructive problem solving. I think that's enough for the two of you. I'm pretty excited to have you on board because... (laughs) I'm wondering who those guys, (laughs) because they sound great. (laughs) They are great. They are great. And they have a really interesting perspective. So let me start. So welcome to both of you. Good to have you on. Let me start. Um, why did you start on this journey about curiosity or the curious advantage? What problem were you trying to solve? So I'll go first then uh, on this wonder. Um, and curiosity has uh, started a few years ago for us. Um, we've been working with a number of organizations um, in the learning space. And more and more and more, they started to be talking about this word curiosity and really try to figure out is curiosity in some way something that can contribute to their um, their culture, their performance, their profitability, can it help them differentiate? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so more and more we were working with organizations who were uh, looking at curiosity as an enabler of their business. Um, we've been working with um, uh, one organization in particular called Novartis, which is, a, you may have heard, a, a Swiss-based uh, global pharmaceutical company. Um, and their chief learning officer, Simon Brown, who's co-author of our book uh, together. Um, and Simon in particular has been... Um, been working there pushing curiosity as a core part of their culture and so part of our our, our research and our and our work on the book was documenting our um, experience of working with curiosity and really trying to figure out the answer to the question um, is there something in curiosity that can help organizations thrive and grow and differentiate particularly in the digital age okay. mm. I mean, that was the, the, it's the digital age, which was key for us. And you will have seen in our other book, which uh, you mentioned alive, uh, it was also about the digital age. We talk about curiosity being the greatest driver of value in the digital age, which we've come to believe quite sincerely. Um, because, you know, we were asking the question, as Paul was saying, you know, we are faced with an infinite amount of data these days. You know, there is so much information available to us and we were thinking, you know, we were looking at what is the future of learning? What is the future of the learning organization? We're very interested in very large systematic change of very large systems and networks. And learning is key to that. And of course, as Paul said, it was curiosity that became the catchword. Because as you start to say, how do you navigate the labyrinth of all this data? What are the skill sets or the power skills that you need? to be able to make sense of, of all of this possibility. And what are the kinds of things we might teach the next generation? What would be the MBA of the future? And curiosity just came up, as Paul said, time and time again, until we realized when we were synthesizing and getting into it, that it's curiosity is, is a great catch-all for an attitude, a neuroscientific modality, behaviors, cultures, ways of looking at the world, which we believe give us the, the tools to, to navigate the labyrinth. That makes a lot of sense to me. I believe curiosity is key. And I've come at it from a completely different angle, not from the digital or the transformation space, but from a relationship space. Hmm. So if we strive to have greater collaboration or greater inclusion, I have to now have a little more curiosity about the person I sit across the table from who thinks differently than I do. So for me, the word has come from the relationship space. Mm. So fascinating that you both are coming at it from a business differentiator as well as a digital transformation. Now, do you agree with me that the rest of the world is caught on to this value of curiosity or are we, is this just the word of the day that we're bouncing around? I agree with you. I think people are um, getting asking similar questions to, to us and asking similar questions to how do you make sense of it all? And curiosity comes up again and again, as you say, as, as one of the key uh, drivers or one of the key concepts that enable us to make sense of it. Um, so, you know, you, you come at it from the, the, the relationship space and, and we've written one of the chapters and one of the seven C's of curiosity that we talk about in our book is community. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, you know, if you're curious about something new, for example, perhaps you want to learn jazz 
and you're a musician. Um, the way into that, the way into that context is to learn the language of jazz, or as in any context, anything you don't know about, there is a relationship between concepts and ideas, very much like a complicated network diagram that make up that, um, if you like, <laughs> that, that sort of mess of ideas or that mess of that context that you're trying to discover. And the only way into that is through other people relationships, as you say, and, and being guided in and led in and learn from these people and communities. Right. For me, the curiosity, if I have a curious mindset, a genuine interest, it's the single best way to lower defensive responses Ooh, that's so it. that I don't react to, ooh, I don't like that because that's not what I'm thinking. Yes. If I can be curious, I always use the word gentle curiosity yeah, about yeah. where you're coming from, what the perspective is, I think I can get defenses down. And then I think we can do good things on collaboration, on interaction, on relationships. I think it's really interesting, Wanda, this point, because, um, and, and we talk about this and looked into it, that um, the neuroscience of curiosity and what's going on in the brain, as you say, you when you're, you're being curious, personally, you can get others to drop their defenses, but also you do the same. Because... Um, we we use we are curious because it's a survival mechanism you know we have what's called state curiosity mm-hmm. which is we're just interested in that loud noise that happened over there or why is that pencil rolling along the table all by itself um the things that prick our interest um are part of our curiosity and it means that we survive um but also when we engage our curiosity the research shows that we are starting to use the the executive part of our brain, the decision-making, the rational part of our brain that allows us to take some of the emotion out. Um, and when we're interacting with others, does reduce conflict, actually increases communication yeah. and improves decision-making. So there's, there's good scientific evidence that um, what is a fuzzy idea about isn't it helpful to be curious is actually demonstrable in the science. Okay. We also looked at um, talking to people who we thought maybe using curiosity in their everyday lives. Uh, and and the, the, the best group that we found were investigative journalists. And I'm not talking about journalists who sensationalists, but in journalists who really get into communities and, as you say, build trust. And these are people who are highly skilled at lowering defenses, building trust, and, and getting people to open up and talk to them. And our, our chatting to uh, investigative journalists really taught us a number of things, not only about how you go in, maintain trust, but also maintain your critical distance. And this is how we came to criticality as really important for curiosity, because you know, you can go into a subject and just, you know, randomly surf on the internet and you might go down pathways that are fascinating and you might learn some stuff or you might just go down pathways that um, reinforce what you already know or reinforce things that you already think or just kind of give you pleasure. But by having tools <laughs> like the investigative journalists have, tools of critical thinking and tools of being aware of unconscious bias you, you strip away um, just meandering through data and you step back, you allow yourself not to be emotionally engaged, but you allow yourself to make sense of what you are hearing and put it into context again. But, th- you know, that, that thing about how do you maintain trust with your relationships and your community and at the same time remain critically distant, if you like, from 
what you're being told, realizing that all information is loaded with it, with emotion, um, it's it's those skills that allow you to be truly curious and go into places and learn things that are, are truly new for you. Um, amazing, amazing people, these journalists. I want to get on to talking about your seven C's, but I can't resist to make one comment here. So we know that there are 60-some different kind of decision biases that have been documented for years in the literature, well-known globally transferable, and all about how I process information and make decisions. One of them is the confirmation bias, that I tend to listen to information that agrees with what I already think. I give it more weight, and I tend to discount stuff that is inconsistent. And what you're talking about from investigative journalist techniques is that willingness to ask critical questions that are inconsistent with my current view. Right. And I think that is where you're getting at at the heart of curiosity. Yeah. All right. So just for the record, you have said that you believe that critic uh, curiosity builds competitive advantage because it builds differentiation. Yeah. It builds transformation capability. It increases the ability of the system to move to a digital world. I think I used your words there appropriately. Yep. That it is great for culture. It's great for performance. We've already said it's great for relationships it's probably great for innovation. That sounds like enough. Is there anything I'm missing there on what else it would be good for for business? Well, well, for business, I don't know, but it's good for your health as well. <laughs> Thank you. Right. You uh, did mention that. <laughs> yeah, it's good for your health. You have, um, again, the, the, the science shows that um, being curious as it's releasing um, the same chemicals, the dopamine in your brain that you get when you're anticipating a reward, and it's the anticipation of the reward that's important. Um, you're you're happier. So you're a happier individual when you're um, when you're curious. Um, it also improves um, your vagal tone. So this the, the, the main nervous system in your body improves uh, that and actually lowers your cortisone levels and improves your ability to res- to respond to stress. So um, yeah, if you needed another reason to invest in curious behavior yourself, then uh, your own health is probably yeah. a good one. All right, so this may be the ultimate win-win strategy I've ever heard. It's going to be good for my company, and it's going to be good for me and my health. How much better can we get than that one? I love that one. Thank you, Paul. All right, so you've already alluded to this, that in your work, in your interviews, and in your research, you identify seven Cs, the seven principles or behaviors Mm. that make curiosity a reality. So walk us through that, and then I want to take each one and say, give me an example, and then what do we do? What I do as a leader, what do I do as an individual? So, but what are they first? Well, firstly, the, the, to say there are seven clusters of um, groups of research and seven clusters of areas that really form curiosity, that a lot of work has been done. And this came out of the research we, we, we were all over the place. Uh, I, Simon was in Basel, Paul was here in, in the UK, I was in Greece and in the US, and, and we were working together, you know, and using fuzzy logic and AI tools to kind of move our way through our research process. And the clusters we started to realize had, um, there were five that began with the letter C, and um, they were context, community, curation, 
creativity and construction. And then uh, we had some others and we played a game together going, well, could we get them all to be, you know, begin with the letter, the letter C? And we found seven Cs, the others being criticality and confidence. And those seven, we know, suddenly suggested to ourselves, oh, you've got seven Cs. And then we were sailing the seven Cs. And we loved that <laughs> because our, um, uh, you know, one of our definitions for curiosity is to have an attitude of wonder but a spirit of exploration, because they go hand in hand. The attitude of wonder takes you into the questions, but having the the spirit of exploration and the preparedness to kind of go forward, go forth into the unknown and to learn and, and build and make things and do stuff to figure it out really goes hand in hand um, with, with uh, curiosity. And Paul um, was alluding to the different types of um, neuroscience around curiosity. There's sort of tacit and innate curiosity and so on. These ties into the need to not only be able to wonder what, what the question is, but also to, to, to have a go and to explore. So the seven C's of curiosity. Context, we've talked a little bit about. Those big connections between new concepts, words, and, and um, ideas, and the dynamic connection between those things. It's, it's, it's a, these connections and languages you need to learn. Community, we've talked about how it's people and different types of people. We like the idea of guides to guide you in, people who are gatekeepers, people who can come with fresh pairs of eyes and when you show them what you're doing or explain to them what you're learning, they can provide you with more information. And then the people you alluded to, wonder who are really important are the people who are outside, people who are different to us, people who may come from a completely different background, context, or whatever. These are the people who challenge us and really give us um, the opportunity to go further and think further than we were thinking before. Paul, do you want to talk, talk about the others? Yeah, so in terms of um, the, the, the next C, curation. So for uh, curation is all about... Um, when you start on your curious journey, you start to be overwhelmed with information and where to go next. So curation is about the act of synthesis, focusing, choosing where to go. Um, it's often a place where people get stuck, they get a bit overwhelmed and they don't know where to go next. Um, beyond that, we have our curious curiosity engine, which is the combination of creativity and of construction. <clears throat> because it's important, I think as Garrick was saying, to be curious, to be curious in the real world. So we need to be creative, we need to be innovative, we need to be exposed to new ideas, but if we don't put those into action and construct something um, and do something meaningful and tangible, then it, it doesn't exist, it becomes uh, nothing. And then the final two, criticality, as I think Wandi mentioned earlier, being aware of our biases, um, checking, checking for evidence, checking your facts, and then finally, but also firstly, confidence. Without confidence, we can't be curious at all, but as we become more curious, so our confidence builds. I had a very nice story about um, during the lockdown, um, <clears throat> I'm a musician and Paul's son, Ben, is also a very, very talented pianist. And uh, Ben is young, he's just turned 12, and he's much better at Chopin than I am. And um, we decided to have a, sh a Chopin smackdown which was basically Ben chose a piece of music and then he learned it and I learned it and then we set up Skype and played it to each other in various bad forms and then played it again as we got better and better. And what was amazing about that experience 
for me, I mean, it was so good for, you know, my mental health, if you think. During um, the lockdown, it was difficult, but it gave me a project. It gave me somebody to talk with, somebody to compete in a non-destructive you know, manner, but to enjoy and, uh, with each other what we were doing together. And I found that you know, as a result of that community with Ben and Paul and so on, I, I, I learned that Chopin piece way faster than I normally would. And it's really about you know, the neuroscience of, of curiosity is interesting because it's without doubt when, when the research is showing that when you are in a curious state, you learn better, but not only to answer the question that you might have, it has at least a 24-hour impact on your learning of all things in general after you've been in that state. There's very powerful curiosity um, all the way through. And the, the Chopin Smackdown, I have to say Ben won, but um, the Chopin Smackdown was a way of, of, of not only being curious, but putting things into action. It was the learning of the piece of music that kind of really brought it to life. All right, I just have to go back on this one. Is that You just slid that in. That is such a powerful tidbit that if I've been in a curious state about anything, yes. it's going to help me learn that thing better. Yes. but it's going to have a generalized impact on my ability to learn anything for 24 hours. That's right. It tails off after 24 hours, but it, the, 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 the laying down of neural pathways, the hormones and the neurochemicals that are released during that mode in our brain, when we are excited about a question and start to set up feedback loops where those questions are being um, answered and neural, new neural pathways are laid down puts us into a state that allows us to not only learn better for that question, but all questions and situations will be in for that 24 hours. And, and more, more, more than that, we, uh, we, we remember better. So our, the memory pathways that are laid down are, are more robust and more powerful. Okay. All right. So if I get this all straight, there are seven clusters of areas that feed on each other that create a curiosity state of being, if you will, I guess is the best way on how to describe that. One is context, which you described as words and ideas, the language. Yes. One is community, the kind of people that you're going to interact with, the guides, the gatekeepers, the challengers. Yeah. One is the curation, the accumulation of information, mm-hmm. um, the selection of that, the focus. Um, the other next, the Fourth one is creativity, sort of something new and innovative in combination with construction, turning yeah. it into something meaningful. Yes. And then there's criticality where we check our bias, we check for evidence, we ask the tough questions. And the last one is the confidence, the confidence that I can do it, that it's all worthwhile. All right. And it takes us to the next step. The confidence is both the beginning and the end, as Paul was saying, because yeah. you know, there's this wonderful story about people who are learning rock climbing. They, they, you know, they teach you not to climb up a wall. They teach you to fall so that you do a, a, a meter and you fall. You do two meters, you fall. And what it does is it gives you confidence so that you have control and power at the point where there might be a crisis, which then gives you the skills to be able to successfully climb the entire wall. And it's the learning of the failures that give you the confidence. And the same with curiosity. As you, you might go into a new situation, a new school, as you start to get to know the people around you, as you start to get to know the subject, you're more confident to be able to ask better questions. And of course, you learn it. I always say, if you ever drew a little diagram about what you knew, you know, one of those mind maps at the beginning of a year yep. about something, anything, 
for the question in the middle. And then you come back to that question a year later and redraw your mind map. It's always astonishing how much more you know and what's, you know, what you didn't know, where the gaps were the year before. Okay. All right, Garrick, you have dropped like four bombs in here that I just absolutely love. And this was another one here. So there's the one that if I'm in a curious state, it's going to help my learning for 24 hours. There's another one where you said the confidence is the beginning and the end. And it's the learning of the failures that give you the confidence. And I think that's true for both curiosity, for both innovation, for any aspect that we're talking about in these, that ability to look at the failure kind of as a learning opportunity, if you will, a growth opportunity versus a failure. I think it's even more than that, Wanda. I think it's true, but I think it's more than that. I think it's, um, it's actually deliberately building in small failures. It's something that you can do as a practice or as a habit um, because authentic confidence as uh, Jackie Brassy talks about is not knowing that you can do it when things are going well but knowing that you can do it when things go wrong and the only way to know that you can do things when you things are going wrong is to um, make yourself comfortable being uncomfortable um, so you know we have um, stories here in the UK in the um, the England rugby uh, team preparing for the World Cup where the coach of the team is uh, name is Eddie Jones uh, he deliberately made the team uncomfortable. He switched their hotel rooms. He shortened the training. He cancelled half-time. He, uh, he did all kinds of things to deliberately make them comfortable being uncomfortable. And those guys went uh, all the way to the World Cup final. Sadly, uh, lost narrowly in the final. Um, but it was, it was it's a really nice one. example. Yeah, yeah, a nice example of how we can do the same thing. If we're preparing for a presentation, um, f- deliberately forget your slides one day. Um, do it without the mic. Uh, all kinds of ways that you can deliberately be, give yourself no prep time, <laughs> turn up two minutes before. Um, so do the things that make you a little bit uncomfortable, because then um, if you do it in a safe way, you know that you can do it when it really matters. Okay. All right. Before we take a break, I have to ask one last question, because what I'm hearing from everybody I'm talking to, or a lot of people I'm talking to at the moment, is this sense of being overwhelmed. So there's too much going on. I don't know where to turn. I've got too much work. I've got too many demands in my home life, just feeling completely overwhelmed. And in that state of overwhelmed, it's hard to imagine stepping into state of curiosity. You know, where I'm thinking about failures are okay and I can boost my confidence and I want to be comfortable being uncomfortable. It's just hard to move to that. What's your advice to somebody who's listening to this saying, yes, but I'm overwhelmed. Now what? Well, for you, Paul. Okay, I can, st- I can start on this. I mean, uh, because for me, I think it's not a big step. I think curiosity is not something that we go and do. It's a habit that we make in tiny ways all the time. We we can just shift our um, our focus uh, to a curious mindset. And I give you one one example that um, uh, we discovered through our, our podcasts uh, that if you could give yourself an assignment, let's say you step into a, a new room and full of people, and if you give yourself the assignment instead of going into that room thinking, oh. I've got to meet a whole uh, load of new people. You give yourself a specific assignment to say, I'm going to speak to people wearing a blue jacket, or I'm going to only speak to um, 
people who have a, a beard or uh, ladies wearing red shoes. Um, you give yourself a specific assignment. It forces you and challenges you to do something slightly different. And then in a small way, it, that's starting your process. It's exposing you to new people. It's forcing you to have conversations you might not already have. It's then priming your brain, your brain to uh, learn that, those things. And you, you might just experience something new. You know, we've got uh, you know, an, another tip could be think about the way you organize your information. If you're looking to be a bit more curious, the books on your bookshelf there behind you, um, instead of organizing them by topic or height, you could organize them by color. If you organize the books by color, then you're going to bring all kinds of different ideas together that wouldn't have been there before. And there may be something new that emerges out of that. So there's lots of small things that we can do in our daily lives just to make curiosity a habit rather than something that is a step into something that's mm -hmm. kind of scary. Okay. The thing I think about is, you know, it's not wrong to be overwhelmed and it's not wrong to have be faced with so much complexity. Um, it was Stephen Hawking, you know, the, the major, the physicist who said that if you want to, if you've got a complex situation, um, the solution is to throw more complexity at it and then it will self-organize. And what, what happens was if you, if you throw, find yourself in a complex situation, it's, it's often one tip is to, is to get, is to go somewhere more complex, go big, Go, go pick up a book and just read something random or find or have a snooze or learn, learn a new piece of music if you can or find some friends and sing. I mean, do something that is complex that may add yet more complexity to your day, but you'll find that if um, it's, it's something random and something you're not expecting, you may find some of the solutions in the, those new activities. Um, I know I, I know someone very well who, when they are faced with very complex uh, problems, uh, you know, academic problems, learns a piece of music, Bach in their case. And by learning Bach, the brain completely switches off from the everyday problems that they're trying to solve. And usually through the process of learning the new piece of music, they actually solve the problem at hand. So it's that shifting your focus from the thing that I'm sitting here stressing about, can't get through, can't see, to something completely different in a totally different modality, if you will, yeah. Yeah. that often will kind of free the brain from all of its constraints in the moment it's in time. It's a serious thing okay. the brain, but it really does work like that sometimes. Solve the, solve, another, solve the other problem, and then right. the other problem solves itself. Right. Right. It also strikes me for somebody who's feeling overwhelmed by work that some of the solutions are lying in your seven C's. Mm. That if you go back and think about the words or the language, the context or the community, who's there to help you sort through or add information or be gatekeepers or whatever, yeah. the um, synthesis, the curation, yeah. those three strike me as maybe solutions into being able to get your hands around something. And it's Stop giving work. up perfection, you know, giving up the sense of perfection or giving up the sense that I've got to be good and before I can show this to somebody else. The, what we really advocate is if you if you want to do something new, perhaps you want to give a presentation, um, we suggest you, you give a bad presentation to your friend or your friends. 
Uh, and just the action of giving a bad presentation will show you everything you need to do to move it to the next level, show you all the gaps, but go ahead and don't be afraid. Just give the bad presentation because it's almost like you've put a line in the sand and you'll know what you've got to do next. Um, I, t I teach at the Royal College of Art here in London as well on decision-making with, with them. And um, one of the wonderful things about the Royal College of Art, which is an amazing institution full of very incredible students, what they do is they require all students, no matter whether they're engineers or artists or designers or scientists, all students do life class drawing and they have to do line drawing once a week. It's one of the only requirements of the, of the college because there's something about live drawing that teaches us brain hand coordination and, and solves problems by not having to, you know, solve a, an engineering problem. You, you're drawing in a live class, but your brain is also working on other things at the same time. It's a, another great thing the Royal College does is, is, is show and tell, is that you're always exhibiting, you know, every week or every two weeks, you're showing your friends, colleagues, peers, people in, around the school where you are and what you're doing. And in, in doing that, it moves everybody's practice forward. Fabulous ideas. All right, perfect time for us to take a break. My two guests today are Garrick Jones and Paul Ashcroft. The book that we have been talking about is The Curious Advantage. And if you didn't catch this, the seven C's, the seven clusters that create a curious mindset are context, community, curation, creativity, construction, criticality, and confidence. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to create a culture that does a little bit more of this. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are, at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. 
With me today is Paul Ashcroft and Garrett Jones. The book that we've been talking about is The Curious Advantage, seven different clusters of areas that create a curiosity, a state of curiosity. And we've talked a great deal about all the advantages that come from having a curious state of being, a curious mindset. From business advantages to differentiation to ability to learn even more to health benefits um, to neural pathways, all sorts of far-reaching benefits. Now I know why everybody's so enthusiastic about it. I want to, and we've talked about confidence, and we've talked about confidence coming from imperfection. Garrick uses the word failure, but I liked at the end where he said you should do things badly. <laughs> and get over that you've done it badly, and then you know exactly where your gap is. Perhaps you don't do that in front of your strongest stakeholder, but you might do that in front of your closest friends. Sure. Um, and you know, then work towards a better state, not necessarily towards perfection. I thought that was a really clever idea. What I want to do is to talk about this now in terms of a corporate culture. Mm. And the place that I really want to start with is this concept about collaboration. So it's one of the things that every client I'm working with has now plastered on their walls in some form. We want a collaborative culture internally or with our clients or some version of that theme. But I contend none of us actually have a really good understanding of what it takes to create collaboration. And it strikes me that what you're talking about in this curious advantage is really collaboration. Am I right or wrong? And what's your view on this one? I, I agree partially. I think there's more to it than collaboration. I, th- I think collaboration is massively important, but I think what collaboration is a manifestation of something else that's going on in business today, and that's the digital impact of everything digital. Because not only when we're together in, the, in, in, a, in a room or an office, but not when we're working disparately all over the world and in different places, it becomes more and more important to be able to collaborate together and have the skill sets of collaboration so that we can make music together, if you like, even if we're mm-hmm. not in the same room. And I think it's part of that. The other thing that's driving it is, you know, there's been a huge shift in the pyramid, if you like, of organizations. You know, we've had top-down command and control organizational systems in place going all the way back to Alexander the Great in the Persians and it's you know come from the military and so on this is how we've organized ourselves for for years but the thing about digital is that everybody from no matter how powerful in the organization to the lowliest person is connected and ostensibly has um you know, access to the same amount of information as anyone else. And certainly communication is this massive cloud. And then the question is for leaders and for individuals, how do I behave in this situation? How does a leader nudge and negotiate to ensure that this cloud of individual relationships achieves the kinds of goals that you're trying to achieve in the market, for example, mm-hmm. and how do individuals now co- connected to all this information collaborate together to achieve what they're trying to achieve? It's fundamentally, I, d- I can't think of anything other than the telephone that has fundamentally changed relationships and business in this way in history. Right. And we don't have systems or processes um decision-making processes, for example, that let us understand how to operate in the digital environment, as you just described. 
All right. So talk for a minute about what a culture of collaboration, I mean, a culture of curiosity looks like. And if I'm a leader of a group, where do I begin to even think about creating this culture? Well, I can give you one um, really nice example from Novartis in particular, because we've worked a lot with Novartis and, and of course, um, a good chunk of the book. We've been um, working through some of the research with them and they they started with this as um, their values. So they, as a business, established a really clear purpose um, and they set their values around three, be inspire, unboss, and curious. So inspire, of course, is about um, what is our purpose and inspiring people that work there and work together there every day to work towards that purpose. Um, and boss is really interesting. As Garrick talked about, we are seeing a shift in pyramid. Um, and it really asks for leaders to behave in a completely different way than they would have done in the past. Um, so they really have put in place a culture of unbossed, where the, the role of the leader is to role model, is to ask questions, is not to be the, the person with all the answers, but actually perhaps the person with the best questions. And then, of course, curious. <laughs> so as part of the, um, the culture, curiosity is really big, and they do lots of very practical things, um, such as they um, give everybody the chance to do 100 hours of learning every every year so five percent of their time it's not um tested or assessed in a sense have they done it but it's an aspiration and then uh managers are therefore um actively supporting people making the time for learning and they can learn whatever they want to learn be curious so the, there's one example of an organization that's ad- adapting uh, curiosity as a fundamental part of its culture by by bringing together the sort of the the inspire, unboss, and curious as part of their values. All right. The, a, go ahead. Sorry, I was saying we're having a great time of interviewing people in our podcast series, the, the Curious Advantage. And two people who came to mind when we were investigating this: what does this curious organisation look like? One is Josh, Josh Burson, who talks about learning in the flow of work. And I'm personally fascinated in how do you use technology and AI and all that the digital realm has to give us to enable us to start flowing information to us in a way that allows us to be curious in the flow of work. Um, The other one, there was a great conversation with Gordon Fuller, who's the head of global learning at, at IBM. And Gordon's team are really looking at putting in software and, and, um, a technical infrastructure that enables the environment in which people are working to facilitate curiosity constantly. So this, let's go back to Novartis for just a minute. I'm intrigued by the IBM, but I want to come backwards for a minute to Novartis. This 5% of their time learning is ostensibly learning anything, right, Paul? There's no limits on what they learn. Yeah, the, the problem they face when they, they ask their team uh, that the team members and their associates, you know, are you spending enough time learning? Because the commitment was there from the CEO down for, uh, I know he, he fundamentally believes is in learning in the organization. But um, the feedback from their, their associates was, I don't have time and my manager doesn't support it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so by um, making it um, essentially a, a measure to say, we are going to aspire 
to give mm-hmm. everybody the chance to do 5% of the time or 100 hours of learning could be is gives them a really tangible practical thing that addresses both of those things it makes the time and it says it's okay to make the time okay um, and that's what they've they are working towards and yes they can learn anything they've been investing in uh, all kinds of um uh, cloud-based learning solutions they're running um blended learning journeys they're you know traditional learning right across the patch and are these programs that are all run and sponsored by Novartis or could I as an employee go and find anything anywhere that I wanted to go and learn? Yeah, because I learning is learning. Yeah, I believe and they've invested uh, they've invested in um, open platforms on like LinkedIn learning, for example. Mm-hmm. In one thing they were did that was very clever. Uh, when we earlier in the year had the global lockdown, they doubled down on this. So they actually made available the LinkedIn learning license they had um, to their uh, to family members okay. as well of their associates and i know other organizations have done this as well to say well look if, if people have got some extra time use the time to learn they're flowing in uh, connections to you could do university degrees with major universities harvard yale um, lse all you know in within as part of your job you can connect to the khan academy you can collect connect to masterclass.com a huge you know, absolutely huge access to all kinds of learning in the world. Great. And do you get the sense, Paul and, and Garrett, working with them that people are taking advantage of this? They don't care if people take advantage of it. They want them to. They want people to learn as much as they can and go as far as they can. And if if people are, are taking advantage, they feel that they will learn stuff and it will translate into into more engagement and better with the work because they don't feel the need to police it, which I thought was pretty enlightened. They've done some amazing research which showed that where um, leaders were um, benevolent uh, within the organization and allowed people to do this, there was a 22% increase in engagement within the organization. (laughs) And where leaders were critical or a bit controlling and 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 weren't on the side of of ordinary people, um, there was a minus eighteen um, percent impact on engagement. Okay, so there is the single best answer anybody's going to get in the next year on how to increase your engagement scores yeah. and improve your openness to letting people learn new things, less controlling kind of a little more curiosity. I think if there was any doubt about the power of curiosity, we are to have it right here. It strikes me as it's such a simple thing to do, what Novartis has done, to make this um, platform available so that anybody can learn a whole host of things in a very reasonable and very easy way. And if you believe in curiosity and you believe in the spillover effect of curiosity for all of engagement and learning, why not? That makes a ton of sense. In my point of view. All right. Now, Garrick, I have to go back. You were talking about IBM and about IBM was using software to have, uh, is it that information is flowing to people or is it software that makes it easier for people to find information? Both. both. It's it's fascinating. I mean, it's amazing. They're heading down its early days, but early days for IBM is way ahead of most other people. They, They really are creating a technical infrastructure of information that's not only flowing to you through all the channels that you have on your laptops and technology, but they're also creating a technical information 
system that, that is anticipating the kind of information or things you would like using AI tools. So they, they really are getting a, a handle on how do you create a system that flows the kinds of information in an in anticipatory way that people might need when they're working, um, whether it's in labs or whether it's on the road doing sales or whether it's consulting or whatever. It's about creating um, a 360-degree uh, environment in which people have interesting information coming at them. And, of course, the, the key thing that they've discovered, of course, it's got to be simple. You can't just you know, turn on the fire hose and have information flowing. It's got to be um, dealt to people in a way that that is useful and makes sense. But it is amazing what Gordon Fuller is doing with his team. And it's across the entire organization of IBM. They talk about, um, they talk about the career velocity of people there which we quite like this as an expression as well, that um, when they they have the advantage of having Watson in-house, of course, I'm right. sure a lot of your listeners have heard of Watson. Um, and they use that for classifying and connecting learning and getting feedback from sentiment and so on. So a lot of their, the work they can do is, be, is really data-driven. Um, and I think what they found is the hardest part of finding that spark of curiosity inside their people. Um, so... To, how do you find that spark? I suppose that's the same question that a lot of people ask themselves every day. And what they do is they they do really powerful skills assessments and then see where the the skills are adjacent to others in that they might not normally have thought of in the organisation. Give them sight of emerging roles. Create personalised learning paths around that. Test what people do know, don't know, um, and really try and take the frustration out of learning. So I think it's very interesting what IBM are doing in terms of using data, using AI, but then really translating that into practical steps that people um, can do in their organization to That's right. you referred improve their career velocity. Yeah, career velocity. And also they're using the data to facilitate relationships with people. So, the, so when they're seeing data spikes of interest between two different people from different parts of the organization, they'll be pinged and go, why didn't you contact... X, she, she's interested in the same uh, things that you are. So they've, the, the AI is facilitating relationships between people. That is interesting. One of the things I'm hearing from people as I talk to them, so there's so much that's out there at the moment, particularly in the COVID-19 world, where everybody's putting tons of webinars and content and articles everywhere. Mm. LinkedIn, for example, you're talking about that mastermind. You've talked about that, all the university courses. There's a lot. And people are saying to me, the hardest thing is the curation. How do I know what's good about it? What is going to be really useful? What's just I've heard already and isn't valuable? And having some software that could help channel that to me so that I'm not reading things I already know or things that are um, not deemed accurate, I guess, is the way to go. We're starting to define, it's early days, but we started to define the design criteria or the functional requirements for the next phase of, of, of digital and computerization, I think. As we, as we are faced with this overwhelming amounts of data, we're now starting to define the tools and the algorithms that will help us uh, keep it simple and build it, you know, build it into our everyday lives in a way that just seems, you know, picking up a newspaper, for example. And we're dealing with so much more information these days, but we're learning how to make it simpler. 
There's lots of AI tools, of course, coming on stream that are helping with this. So Netflix is a very obvious example of a, of a, of a, of a smart piece of technology that is um, serving what it thinks we are looking for, Udemy, um, in the learning space. I think that the, the side note to this is that the challenge with curation is uh, not closing too fast. Yeah. And, and whilst you're curating enough to keep, it, keep yourself moving forwards, um, be able to step back and keep it open. Because uh, as we talked about um, earlier in the show, uh, you can end up just reinforcing things you already know and things that you've already done before. Um, And that sort of is where the curiosity starts to wane. Okay. All right. Well, we've got a fascinating conversation and I could keep talking for forever, I'm certain. So, but I have a favorite ending, which is to ask each of you about a time you had to get out of your comfort zone. And I'm not so much interested in the details of the event as I am, what was it that helped you get out of your comfort zone? So, Paul, I'll start with you. Uh, okay, I'll give you a story that's uh, from sports. So, I study karate and uh, I, uh, I studied karate as a child and then as I became older, I left it alone and then I wanted to take my son back to karate. And I thought, um, oh, well, I may as well pick it up again. I filed my own karate license in a cupboard and I went back to the local club and started. And I hadn't got my black belt and I wanted to get my black belt. And I went and I got, and I went to the, I did the training and a year or so later I went for the, the test and failed. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of devastating because uh, I have to be honest, I, don't He's usually, don't you know, usually fail at stuff. Uh, maybe that's because I'm too too easy on myself. Um, but I learned there was some really specific things that I just wasn't there able to do. I was a little bit of afraid of some of it. And the thing that got me through that was actually going finding um, a guide, going find somebody, and putting who could help me reframe the the fear I had about that in such a way that he gave me the tools, he gave me the confidence, he helped me uh, connect to the right type of information that I needed to then go and go, actually, it's not that I'm not afraid anymore, but I know how to manage that and I know how to do it because I wanted it more than I was afraid of it. And so I went and I, um, I got my black belt. Fabulous. Congratulations. I love yeah, that. I'm waiting for my, my son to get his now. Good. All right. Garrick, how about for you? Secret well, of success. Yes, well, it's also about sport, bizarrely. I mean, I've, I'm a very cerebral person, and you've been in my head, and I'm very comfortable there. And um, you know, when I was 45, I discovered I'd put on a lot of weight, and um, it was impairing lots of things in my life. And um, I, I have a very wonderful godmother, God bless her, who um, is also incredibly practical, and I mentioned to her, you know, oh, I think I might want to go to the gym, you know, start doing some more exercise. I've got to get rid of this. So we were walking around London and we walked past a, a sports star, a sports shop that was having a, a sale. And she turned to me and she said, don't you think you might want to go inside? <laughs> <laughs> and I, oh, that's a very good idea. I went inside and, of course, I bought a, a gym kit and some shoes at a good price, which made me very happy. And then bizarrely, when I got home, out of the blue, um, a trainer from the local gym had just emailed me and said, would you like a free session? And that got me back into the gym. And um, I've been training with him for the last five, six years now. And um, it changed my life. 
you know, I became fit again. Um, I became happier as a result. And it gave me way more energy to do the things I wanted to do. Probably gave me the energy to help write the books that we've been writing too. Fabulous. Gary and Paul, we are out of time. Thank you both. Um, Garrett Jones, Paul Ashcroft, their company is called The Ludic Group. The book we've been talking about is The Curious Advantage. And I just leave you with my favorite quote of the entire show, which is when I'm in a curious mind, uh, state of mind, that the ability to learn anything lasts for 24 hours. So I'll have a greater chance of learning. I just think that if there's anything else that says, why should we be more curious? That's it. Thank you both. Join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. And join us also on our brand new service, outofthecomfortzone.com, where you'll get to hear a deeper example about how this is applied. Each of these principles are applied to a company. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.